Thank you, Camden. Great song this morning. Church, if you would go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, we'll be looking at verse 20 and 21 this morning. Um, if you've looked in your bulletin, you've seen that according to the schedule, I'm supposed to be Brother Jim up here. Um, I'm not, as you can tell. Uh, Brother Jim and the whole crew in Israel got back safely, thankfully. Glad you guys are back. Crazy trip those last couple days, I imagine. They didn't keep you though, so that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, Brother Jim texted me, though, a couple days ago and said that he was feeling under the weather, wasn't able to talk, which is kind of hard to do when you're wanting to preach a message. So you have me one more Sunday morning. I am so, so sorry. But we're here this morning. Glad you guys are here. Uh, and we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. I, I will say, as I was studying and planning for this morning, my goal was to try and finish chapter 1, which was verse 20 through 25. And as, as I've already said, we're all going to make it through Verse 21, we just couldn't do it unless you guys want to stay here till like 1245. Is that okay? Can we do that? No? Okay. We're not doing that. That was never the plan. But uh, we're going to be in those two verses today. And if you've been with us the last three weeks or so, we've been looking through the book of 1 Peter. I think both Sunday nights that, that I was with you the last couple of weeks, we've been looking in 1 Peter chapter 1. And gradually over the last few months, as I've supplied and, and been around, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. Um, I've shared with you guys and said it was kind of a direction I felt like I needed to go, kind of have, have a series going, just, just ongoing as, as I get a chance to fill in. Um, so we're going to be looking in First Peter this morning. And real quickly, I want to just kind of catch us up, if you've not been with us, through First Peter, just to give us a, a review of what we've been seeing so far. We look in First Peter chapter 1 at the very beginning, and Peter is encouraging a group of Christians who are facing trials. They're facing hardships in their life. And when we say trials, when we say hardships, we're talking about mainly persecutions. Of course, we all know that life can be difficult with trials and tragedies and things going on around us naturally. But these Christians are also facing heavy persecution. Historically at this time, and they're of course under Roman rule, under the Roman Empire, we have the Emperor Nero. Now if you know anything about history, if you know anything about Nero, you know that Nero was a madman. I even remember in school learning secular history, learning about Rome and learning about Nero. And even my textbook was like, yeah, this dude was crazy, right? I mean, even Nero, uh, something that he did, I remember very clearly because it was just insane. He, he actually took, if I remember correctly, he took one of his horses, his favorite horse, and had the horse elected to the Senate. I mean, this guy was just crazy on many levels, but he was also a very, very cruel man. Uh, especially when it came to the Christian church. Uh, there was a great fire that broke out in Rome. Many believe, most people believe, that Nero actually set this fire, but he used the church as a scapegoat and said it was the Christians, it was the Christian church who set this fire. They're the ones who caused this destruction and this death. And so Peter is writing to a group of people who are facing this spike of persecution. More so, I would say, at this time than the church had ever faced or felt. And Peter is encouraging them in the middle of these trials and telling them the purpose behind trials. But it's interesting, when you go back and look in 1 Peter chapter 1, he really doesn't talk about trials that much. He mentions trials once or twice. He talks about trials. But the way that Peter is encouraging us in trials is through an in-depth look at the salvation that we possess in Christ. It's almost as if that Peter is saying that our comfort in the middle of trials 
in the middle of hardships is remembering the salvation that we have. And we've seen great truths about our salvation, looking in chapter 1, like saying that our inheritance, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, guarded by God through faith. We have this great salvation that is eternal. And He's been teaching us and telling us about our salvation and how we should respond to this salvation, the life that should be produced when we understand the kind of salvation that we have through Christ. And if you're here with us last Sunday night to just kind of give us a a quick uh, context review, we were in verses 17 through 19, and verse 17 starts out in saying, If you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially uh, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself in exile during the time, uh, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your exile. And, And what we see in that is that as Christians, Peter is reminding us, and this goes along with our response to our salvation, the life that we should produce, is that yes, we're saved, yes, we're forgiven, yes, we're cleansed, but there is still responsibility for our actions. That There are still consequences for our actions. The good news in God being His impartial judge is that He doesn't care about your social status. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, I'm really a nobody, I don't have any money, I don't have any status, my name doesn't really mean anything, God doesn't care about that. God cares about a heart devoted to Him. That's what God cares about. He's impartial. But the bad news in that is if you think your status does mean something. Because church, it doesn't. According to God, it does not matter who you are. It doesn't matter your name. It doesn't matter your status. What matters is a heart turned and devoted to Him. And so we see that Peter is teaching us these things. He's telling us these things. And he wraps it all around in verse 18 and 19. We're going to read those real quickly to see what Peter was talking about. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about our response to salvation. And then he talks about our source of salvation. Verse 18, if you'll look there real quickly. We're just going to read through. It says, "...knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot." He says, church, we were ransomed, that we were held captive... That's what he's telling us, that we were slaves to sin, that that even the law, the law that was given by God, under the law, we are still condemned because we're sinful, because we've broken the law, right? We're still condemned even though the law of God was given. We're, We're still sinful and we're still condemned. But he says, you have been ransomed from that. You have been bought. And it wasn't with perishable things. It wasn't with silver or gold or money or things. It was with the precious blood of Christ. Precious, of course, we know what what precious means. It means valuable, but it also carries the meaning of being costly. Christ poured out all of His blood at Calvary for you and for me. It cost Him His life. It was costly. So Peter wraps it around and comes back to reminding us and telling us the source of our salvation is Christ. And he continues that thought as we look there in verse 20. And he's continuing to tell us about our Savior. He starts there in verse 20, if you look there, it says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. We look at that, that first word there, foreknown. It says He was foreknown. That word meaning having knowledge before or preordained. This is telling us about the plan of God in salvation. That Jesus was not a reaction to our sin. That the plan of redemption for us was not just God reacting to the fact that we're sinful, but this was the plan from eternity's past, right? We, we talk about actions, pre-planned actions, strategies compared to reactions. 
Anyone in here play chess? In here, a few of us? One, Jim Smith in the back plays chess. <laughs> I'd like to play Jim Smith in chess. You play chess, buddy? Yeah? I play chess very badly, though. I do play chess. I understand what the pieces do, but I don't go into it with any strategy. And you know, going in and playing chess with no strategy, you're probably going to lose, which I do most of the time, right? Someone who is a good chess player, they, they have strategy. They have plan. They have a plan set up, ready to go. I remember our Louisiana mission trip last year. Dayton, I see you back there. Dayton was talking to Scotty about how he was going to beat Scotty in chess. And Ch Scotty's pretty good at chess. And so Scotty had a plan. His plan was to get him in a four-move checkmate. That was the plan. Dayton, did it happen? It did. He got him, right? He came into it with a strategy. He came into it with a plan, right? That, that's an action. That's, that's the idea here. But a reaction is completely different. A reaction is like you spilling hot coffee on you. Anyone been there? Absolutely, right? When you spill hot coffee, say all down your shirt, do you say, okay, I just spilled hot coffee down my shirt. As it's burning into my skin, I'm going to think about this, and I think the best plan of action is for me to pull on my shirt so it's not against my skin. Does anyone do that? Because you might need to get checked out, okay? You have a reaction, right? It is immediate. You don't think about it. It's a knee-jerk reaction. Right? My, my wife, who is sick today, not with us today, uh, her family had, had a cattle sale this past weekend. And I've not worked cattle very much in my life at all. Growing up, I knew more how to cut them up than to actually keep them alive, which doesn't really help them at all. But when I'm loading these cattle and loading these bulls, there was a time or two a bull would turn around heading out of the trailer because he didn't want to go up in that trailer. What do you do? You, you don't have a pre-planned action. You react to it, right? I got out of the way, right? This, this is a bull who's wanting to go a direction that I'm in. I'm moving away, right? That's a reaction. We have actions and we have reactions. And what we see here in verse 20 is that Jesus, our redemption, was not a reaction. It was an action pre-planned by God. Church, this is important because there are some people who teach that God didn't know we were going to be sinful. That God didn't know the Garden of Eden was going to happen and that He just seen we were sinful and said, okay, I choose Jesus. And people say that's what this word foreknown just means. It means He just chose Jesus to be the plan of redemption. No, this word means it was pre-planned. It was pre-ordained. When? Before the foundation of the world. Before anything was made. But before the Garden of Eden, before anything was ever laid in the foundation of the world, Jesus was the plan of salvation. He was the plan for our redemption. And you may be asking, why is that important? What, what does it matter if someone believes or thinks that it was a reaction compared to a pre-planned action? Because of what you're saying, if you believe that this was a reaction, if you have a reaction belief about the plan of redemption, you are going against God's sovereignty. You, you are going against the fact that God is sovereign. We believe that God is sovereign, right church? We believe that God has orchestrated everything for His glory and that He sees and He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from His sight. If you have a reaction belief here that God reacted to these things and He didn't see it coming, see, what you're really doing is you're dethroning the God of everything. You're taking Him off His throne and you're not even worshiping the real God at this point. You're making a God of your own making. You're making an idol. You're worshiping a God who really isn't God, right? But having a belief, according to Scripture here, a preordained belief that Jesus was always the plan, it reaffirms our belief in the sovereignty of God. Scripture teaches this, and God's character confirms it. God is the God of, of everything. He is omnipresent. 
He was omniscient. He is sovereign over everything. God's plan of redemption was always set in place, and that plan was Jesus. In, in church, you may be asking now, why is this important? Why do I need to know this? Well, one, it's simply, it's, it's in God's Word, right? But I don't, I don't want to stop there, okay? Why do we need to know this? Because I think on a deeper level, it reveals to us the love that God has for each and every one of us. What, what this is saying, stay with me on this, what this is saying is that before you even existed, God knew that you would rebel against Him. Before I even existed, God knew how sinful I was going to be. Knew that I was going to rebel against Him. Knew that I was going to be an enemy of His. I was even going to be a God-hater, as Scripture says that I was before I knew Christ. But even though He knew that, this plan has always been set in stone so that you and I might be brought back to God. So that salvation might be brought to us. Is, Is that not love? Do we not see the, God of lo- the, the love of God more clearly in that? That, that this has always been the plan to, to bring us back to Him? Even though we were going to be sinful, even though we were going to go against Him and rebel against Him, He still had this plan? We talked about last week, seeing the love of Jesus and Him, him knowing and Jesus being sovereign over all things and understanding. John chapter 18, verse 3 and 4. It talks about Jesus in the garden, and, and as they're arresting him, it says Jesus comes with, with a group of soldiers to arrest Jesus. And it says in the next part, Jesus, knowing all that was about to happen, knowing everything that he was going to go through, knowing all the suffering of the cross and everything that was going to happen to him, he stepped forth. And he said, who are you looking for? Jesus didn't hide He didn't run away. He knew what was going to happen and he still went forth and died for you and for me. And we see that love revealed even more clearly in this. I said last week, if you ever doubt that God loves you, don't look at your circumstances, look at the cross. And I think that can be true of this too. If you ever doubt that God loves you, remember this truth, that that this has always been the plan. That God always knew that you were going to be sinful. And even if you're a non-Christian here this morning, understand, you still have time. God is being patient with you. The fact that you're here, the fact that you're hearing the gospel. Maybe you come every single week and you're still lost. You're still a non-Christian. You're still rejecting Christ. God is being patient with you. We see the love that He has for each and every one of us in the fact that His plan has always been predetermined. We also see the plan of God being revealed in the Word of God. God has spoken to us in two different ways throughout history. We see the first one uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke to us through the prophets. We see the prophets in the Old Testament. Peter has talked about the prophets a couple times here in 1 Peter chapter 1. The prophets is how God spoke to His people, right? And, and, And it was a big responsibility. The prophets having this message of God, going to the people, going and sharing the message and saying, thus says the Lord, it was a big responsibility. The prophets knew that. But God also took it seriously. Because when you have prophets, you also have false prophets. Prophets who stood up before the people and said, this is what God has said, and God did not tell them to say that. You ask, well, how seriously did God actually take that? We see in the law, God's instruction talking about false prophets says if a false prophet tells you something and it comes true, but then he tells you something else and it doesn't come true, he's a false prophet. Right? It doesn't matter how many times he gets something right. If he's wrong at any point in attributing that to God, he's a false prophet. And God's instruction there 
Anyone know what the instruction was to do with the false prophet? Stone him, right? You got it. Stone him, right? That's how seriously God took this. God took this extremely seriously. But Hebrews tells us that God has spoken to us by the prophets. But then we see the second way that God has spoken to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, very next verse, it says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. God has always been teaching, God has always been telling us His plan, first through the prophets, and now through His Son, through Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 tell us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The, the word there that's being used, it's the word logos. Okay? It, it means a word, something uttered by a living voice, but it also means the divine expression of God through Christ. The, the message of God is seen clearly in Christ. He, he spoke to us by the prophets, but now we have Jesus. We have the message of Christ, and that is the final message from God. Because, and the reason we're talking about this this morning, and kind of to go into a little, little bit more of a Bible study talking about this, is because there are some people who say that God is still revealing new truth. That, that there is still Scripture being wrote. There is still Scripture being said. That there are still prophets who are prophesying and telling us new things from God. So when we look at Scripture, when we look at these things, we have to ask the question, is there anything new? Is there anything new? Is God still revealing new truth to us? Or is the final message from God found in Jesus? Well, if you already know, is there anything new? The answer is no. Although some people will tell you there is new revelation or message from God, don't listen to them. If someone comes to you, someone in the church, and says, hey, I've got a new message from God. He just told me about it, and it's not found in Scripture. Do not listen to them. Okay, run away from them, because they are not sharing the message from God. They are, as we see in Scripture, a false prophet. And that is something that God takes extremely seriously. We know this. If we were still under the law, we would deal with them very, very harshly. The, the, the reason that people do this, one, again, and, the, and the, the wrong in it is one, is that they're false prophets. No matter what they get right, if they get something wrong, they're misspeaking. They're attributing their message to God, and God never told them to say anything. The second thing, and the second problem with it, is that there is absolutely no accountability. If you are saying that God's revelation is still going on and that it's outside of Scripture, you have nothing to take it back to. You can say anything and say, well, God told me this, and no one can really refute that, right? No one can really say, well, hang on a second, because they're saying, hey, there's still new things being said. But as we look in Scripture and what we see is that all we need as the church, the only message that we need, there's nothing new, there's nothing else we need besides the message of Christ. A church has to be rooted in the message of Christ. Not anything new, not anything different, but in the redemption and message of Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 says, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, in reference to Jesus, it says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. According to God's Word, there, there's nothing else. There's nothing else that we ever need. Everything that we possibly need is found in the message of Christ. Church, there is nothing else you need. All you need is Christ and the message of Christ founded in the Word of God. 
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Church, all we need is Jesus. Amen. All we need is Jesus. We don't need any new message. We don't need anyone else saying, no, God is revealing new truth. No, everything we need, everything that we could possibly need is found in the message of Christ. And then we see in the next part of verse 20, he's talking about Jesus, the plan of God, and then he says that Jesus has been revealed to us. We see there, verse 20, if you look again back to 1 Peter, it says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. That word manifest, it means to make something visible. Like if I were to tell you that I have my wallet in my pocket, most of you would probably believe me, right? Wallets are things that people carry, right? But if I was to make it manifest, I would take it out and hold it up and say, see, here it is. It's been made visible, right? God's Word says that Jesus has been made visible. That God had promised throughout all of these years of the Old Testament that Jesus would come, that the redemption would come, and now He has been made manifest. He's been revealed. Verse 10 tells us that Jesus was hidden from the prophets. It wasn't the proper time, but now it's been revealed to us. Church, we have the message of Christ. Thousands of years, every man and woman of God looked for this message. We see that in verse 10. Go back and look at it if you weren't, weren't here with us a couple weeks ago. We have the message of Christ, the message that people have waited for, the message that people have longed for. We have that message now. It says that He was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. What are the last times? The last times, we see that, the last times. What are we talking about? What is Scripture talking about when it says the last times? We're talking about the time after Christ. I think some people get very, very nervous when someone says the last times or the last days, right? And I've known people who, who go extremely far when they're talking about end times and end time prophecy and trying to figure everything out and trying to plan dates. That's not what we see in Scripture. Okay? What are the last times? What is he talking about here? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, 1 John 2, 18, and Hebrews 1, verse 2 talk about the last times. This is simply referring to the time after Christ. The church, we're living in the last times. We're living in the last times of this earth. And what do we mean by that? This is what we mean. According to God's timeline, we have the time before the cross. We have all of that history, everything going on, leading to the time of the cross. But now, after the cross, we are living in the last times. The time before the cross was leading up to the first coming of Christ, and now the time we're living in is leading up to the second coming of Christ. The church, the next thing on God's calendar, the next scheduled event is Christ returning for His church. That's what Peter is telling us here with this last times. That there is nothing else in the way. That the next scheduled thing is Christ returning for His church. He's been made manifest to us and that He is returning for us. And because of all these things, because of everything that we see, we see that we should respond with faith. That's what He tells us. We see in verse 21, into verse 20 and verse 21, it says, "...but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We see that there. It says, for the sake of you. Everything that we see in the gospel, everything that we see in the message of the cross was for our sake. 
It was done for us. It was done for you. For the sake of you. Jesus came in this time. You're living in this time so that you might believe in the message of Christ. You might hear the message and believe it. And most of you hopefully have. Most of us have heard the message of Christ and understood that it was brought so that we might believe for our own sake. Jesus was revealed at this specific time for our sake. Church, we are living in the time of God's revealed plan and fulfilled promise to humanity. This is a big deal. This this is important. Everything has built to this time that we're living in right now. That we have this time and this time only to live and preach the gospel. That's it. We don't get second chances. We don't get a second go at it. We are living right now in this time so that we might spread and share the gospel of Christ. And Jesus was made manifest and shown to us for our own sake. And Scripture goes on and says, because of that, it says, who through Him are believers in God. If you look there in verse 21. It says, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, verse 21, who through Him are believers in God. We are believers in God through Jesus. We have said this over and over again, and Peter continues to reiterate this, that we only are reconnected to God. The, the, the gap is bridged only through Jesus and what He has done. It is only through Jesus. What does he say in John chapter 10? He says, I am the gate. You can only enter in by the gate. He is the only way back to God. Anyone seen those tracks, kind of those animated tracks? You've got humanity on one cliff, and, and you've got this big chasm, and then you've got God on another. Anyone see those? A few of us? And normally the very next animation is what? The, the cross, the bridge, right? The, the cross as a bridge. I think that's a great, simple way to illustrate what Christ has done. He, he has bridged the gap. He, he has connected, He has reconciled us back to God. We are only brought back to God through what Jesus has done. First, excuse me, first Timothy chapter two, verse five says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is our only hope. He is our only hope in returning back to the God who created us. It's only through Jesus that we have true salvation. Jesus is our mediator. It says that we are believers. We are sure and understand the truth and that we are faithful in our faith. And then he goes on. And maybe it sounds like I've been saying a lot, but Peter is bringing us to a point, bringing us all, back, all the way back around in, in our own understanding. He says, for our sake. And we see that there at the end of verse 20. It says, for the sake of you, for our own sake. And then we dr- jump down to the end of verse 21. It says, so that your faith and hope are in God. Church, hear me as I wrap this up. I know there may have been a lot to go through this morning, but I'm not one to skip anything in Scripture. I do my best to go through and, and see what God's Word is telling us. But Peter's bringing us to this point here and telling us that true comfort, true comfort from trials and hardships come from a faith and hope in God that is only found, only found in the gospel of Christ. You as a believer, have a faith in God and a hope in God that no one else has. He says, in the middle of these trials, in the middle of these hardships and these persecutions, your true comfort comes from understanding that you have faith in God and hope in God. To have faith and hope in this world will bring you to a place of severe letdown. 
This world cannot comfort you. This world cannot help you. Do you think the believers back in that time, going through the hardship, going through the persecutions, do you think that they thought and, and hoped that the Roman world would get better? Do you think they had much faith in Nero, that the emperor would put his horse on the Senate? I know I wouldn't. They didn't have much faith in him. They didn't have much hope in their situation turning around. Peter doesn't tell them to have faith and hope in, in the circumstance that they're going through, in the political system. He says, your faith and hope are found in God. And church, we can take from that and we need to draw from that and understand that our faith and our hope must be found in God. No matter what we find in our life today, whether things are going well or whether things are going terrible, our faith, our hope should be found in the God of everything. You look around at our political system today. You look around at our society today and we see nothing but dispute, nothing but tension. Nothing, nothing but argument. Do you really think that we can have a faith and hope in that situation? Do you really think that it's going to deliver us from any kind of hardships, any kind of struggle that we're going through? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Church, our faith and our hope is to be found in God. And it's only found at the starting place of understanding that it's only through Jesus that we have that. For our own sake, we now have a faith and hope fully set on the God who saves us. In the middle of the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever you're going through, our faith and our hope is to be found in God. So my challenge to you this morning, and we're going to get out early. You guys might want me preaching next week too. My question to you this morning as we wrap it up here, where is your faith? Do you, do you have faith in this political system? Do you have faith in, in your, your life? Do you have faith in, in your wealth, in your money? Whatever. Is your faith in that? Or, or is your faith in the God of everything? Where's your hope? In the middle of trial, in the middle of, of circumstances that you can't control, are you hoping that the world fixes it? Are you hoping that this society fixes it? Or is your hope, your confidence in the God of everything? Understand, church, we as Christians, as this church, our faith and our hope is to be found in God. And it's only through Christ. If you would, let's pray this morning.